Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Everyone, welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. This is not your regular host, Ryan Beach. This is Kathleen Costello, Ryan's wife. And I'm hosting today so that uh, we can turn the tables and I can ask Ryan some burning questions that I have and some other people have about these mysterious routine, fundamental routine programs that Ryan has developed. So, Here we go. Let's get started. Ryan, what is a fundamentals routine program and how does this differ from other routines and programs that are out there for musicians? Well, I'm glad you asked, Kathleen. Um, I, uh, I basically stole this from the fitness industry and exercise science after I had observed how they put together progressive materials so you can get stronger in the gym, uh, mostly from powerlifting where it's all geared towards a a meet, a powerlifting meet. So how do we go from IMD trained on something like the deadlift or the squat or the bench? And how do I get to a point where I can do that and display it at a one rep maximum max effort lift? And there's a whole bunch of science behind that. And there's so many different ways out there that you can do it and do them effectively. And so I thought to myself, that's got to be able to exist for musicians because much like a powerlifting meet where everything matters on that day, we have performances, we have auditions, we have recitals, those kinds of things where everything matters on this day. So that was kind of the genesis of just asking what would it be like to sort of be progressive like that? And it's blown up kind of, uh, for me at least, into now what the question you're asking is this four-week fundamentals uh, program, which is what I'm working with mostly with people. And it's basically a way to organize your fundamentals, but in a way that's progressive so we can set clear goals and then actually achieve them because we're establishing parameters of success. Um, We're trying to make sure we're not doing everything we possibly can, but what we actually need to do at this point uh, that will tackle the most important things that we do uh, and such like that. So stolen from exercise science and um, I feel I've done, uh, I don't know if a good or a bad, but a job trying to make it applicable for musicians and it seemed to have worked for me and I know you've experienced benefit and some of the other people. So there's definitely something to it. Okay. We'll come back in a second and I'll have you clarify a little more um, how this looks to apply exercise science because mm-hmm. not everybody might be familiar with, with how that works. I mean, I know I was kind of new to it. I had like a vague idea of it, but... That's because you you, do Pilates. (laughs) I'll let you demystify that in a moment. But let's just clarify for our listeners right now what fundamentals are. So for clarinet, the fundamentals I try to tackle every day are long tones, scales, scale-related exercises, um, articulation, chromatic exercises, and I'm working on double-tonguing as well. So trumpet, there's a few more categories. I know you do like flexibility exercises and triple-tonguing. Yeah, sure. It's essentially anything that builds the sort of the the base of what we do. Um, I would actually think of fundamentals is if you want to give it a general definition, is just something that we're not going to perform. So it kind of doesn't matter what we do with it, right? So we have these studies and the a, these etudes and we have these exer- exercises from these method books and they're just all of these exercises and all of these keys. And it's just supposed to sort of help you understand 
what maybe what keys that you struggle playing in or what particular articulation patterns you struggle to play in. And none of that really matters, right? All that matters is have we exposed ourselves to a number of different stimuluses in our quote training or our routines that allow us to understand how we're going to going to apply that to music that we do perform, mm-hmm. which is the stuff that we share that's much more objective than what a particular fundamentals routine is. So lots of people are going to choose different fundamentals based on what their needs are. But yeah, articulation, flexibility, okay. multiple tonguing, those kinds of broad categories of things that make up great playing. Right. Okay. And so just in the event that we have some, we probably do have some non-musicians listening who are just curious about musicians and how how we work, how we practice, things like that. So for them, um, I just want to throw this out there that that's, I would liken this to like athletes, like staying in their tip top shape, best form that they can. They're going to, you know, (laughs) I'm getting way out of my comfort zone here or, or knowledge base, but like basketball players will do like, you know, training drills and things like that. And so this is our version of, you know, keeping ourselves ideally in the best shape so that when we do get a new piece of music, we can learn that as efficiently as possible. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to continue with that analogy, um, what we're talking about is off season work that Mm -hmm. athletes do. So on season or competition season is basketball season, baseball season. Like everything is geared towards being ready for the next game, the actual application of the performance, like why we do the work in the first place. So the off season is totally dedicated towards, Oh, I noticed in this basketball game, that I got tired sooner than I wanted to. So you might throw in some conditioning drills or you might assess that maybe it's a strength related thing, but then you're doing work to shore up some of these weaknesses, right? So as musicians, when we have a orchestral season or we have a recital season or a school year, a lot of what we're doing is building towards particular performances. And this is why for students, something like the summer is so effective because Mm. you're not on anybody's timetable or anybody's clock or on anybody else's schedule. So you can really say, well, what do I need to get better at? And that's where I would consider something like a fundamentals routine to be most effective uh, is that it's exactly in that time of shoring up weaknesses, making sure that we understand. So next time we have a chance to perform, we have a different approach that might produce a more desirable result. Okay. So back to the nitty gritty of your, your philosophy, your routine, So I'm going to throw several questions at you. I'm ready. Okay. So how long is each routine? Um, In terms of time? Duration, Uh, potentially time too. You can speak to that as well. I want to know how many fundamental categories potentially I would be looking at each day. And then I want to know how it's built. Yeah. I want to know what, how I decide what skills or what exercises to put in there. Yeah, sort of of the the building blocks. Yeah, for sure. So my personal routine takes me no more than an hour and a half per day to do. And so when I hear people tell me that they are practicing for three, four and five hours per day as a brass player specifically, I know string players and sometimes woodwind players are able to have a more of a capacity for time. But uh, I think in that way, I'm sort of uniquely not qualified, but capable to think this way because I don't have chops that'll last for three, four, five Mm -hmm. hours. So I have to think, well, how do I become more efficient so I can continue to progress? And so that's kind of the first thing is it, I know what amount of time I need actually. It's not like a question for me. And it's based off of the way the routine is built, which is 
Currently, you can choose up to six skills that you want to work on. Again, these are the broad categories. These aren't exercises. These are flexibility, articulation, the things you either want to show up for to maintain or the things you actively are trying to improve. And the reason we choose six and not like all 20, many of people have listened to Barbara Butler's interview where she said, I have a list of 20 things. Mm, But she also said, if people remember correctly, she also said she's spending most of her time on 15 through 20. If anybody remembers, it wasn't like I work on all 20. It's like, where is that list? And then you're going to the bottom of the list, the things you're not great at and you're starting there. So we choose six instead of all of it or choose seven or choose five, kind of, kind of arbitrary, but you choose less than you can do. So you're forced to do two things. One, you have to choose what do I need right now versus if I was going to do everything, but what do I need to do right now that will make me better? So it forces you to think about where you're at, kind of being honest with yourself And the other thing it does is it makes it so you can actually spend some time on these things instead of feeling like I can only do a few things per skill because I'm working on 20 skills. You're saying, okay, now that I don't have to do everything, I can invest some time and resources and mental energy, right? Mm -hmm. To do that. Um, And so for every exercise, the the, the, the way the routine is laid out, you can choose six exercises per skill. So that would be a total of 36 potential exercises you could choose that you could do throughout the week. Um, It's really more over the course of two days. The way that it works out for me is an A day and a B day. So you play half of the routine one day and half of the, or the chosen exercises one day, half the chosen exercises the other. This also helps to reinforce this idea that the skill Building the skill is the important part, not learning material. And so if you're saying, I have to play this particular exercise or I'm not going to improve, well, if you're only playing it every other day, then you're automatically saying, well, then I'm going to have to choose something else Mm -hmm. and I'm going to have some consistency, but I recognize that the goal is to improve the skill, not to learn the exercise. Um, I thought of this very recently. I, I think it was like yesterday or the day before, this idea that, when you're doing a fundamental routine, we're, I know this is going to be possibly controversial or spicy, as Karen would say, but uh, I think we should serve the skill and not the music because it's not something we're ever going to perform. And so we have to ask how this thing is going to help us, not how are we going to present this thing. And I think it totally flips when you're doing an audition or something like that, where you might start asking, how am I going to serve the music? We have to be asking, why is this thing in my routine? This is to speak to the last question you asked about how you choose. Like you would have to ask yourself, what do I want to get better at? And then when you choose something, you'd have to ask, why do I want this in my routine? How is this going to help me? And just through that process, you're setting intentionable goals like right out of the gate, right? So you kind of don't even have to have the separate thing of what are my goals by choosing a routine. You know what I mean? Choosing a routine, you're setting your intentionable goals and because it's in there, you're now saying building the skill through this is what's going to happen. The music is serving the building of the skill. Okay. And just to cover one thing that got a little bit glossed over, maybe I didn't ask a question clearly, but so each one is is four weeks in duration, right? So you pick exercises at the beginning and you'll be playing those for four sure. weeks. Yeah, yeah. So are you playing them the same tempo the whole time or is there a progressive aspect to those exercises? Okay. So I guess I didn't mention that. So uh, I practice in cycles. I'm a big believer that we the the ability to repeat something Mm -hmm. allows us to do it better next time. And so uh, there are four weeks in my particular organization of a fundamentals routine. Of course, there are a myriad of ways you could do it. So I'm speaking about the way I have come to do it at this point. But the problem 
what what having a four week routine allows you is the ability to structure it so that you meet the goal at the end and so that you can take each week and just so say the goal is 100 beats per minute on some exercise in week four. So then you're going to say, well, week three, maybe the top tempo is going to be 92 and then it's going to be 86. And then so week one, you're going to start at 78 or something. I don't know. This is arbitrary, right? But you're going to start at a tempo where it's doable and it's possible for you to be your best player or close to your best mm-hmm. player within your current capabilities, your de-skilled, I have not learned this exercise yet, and then allow you to progressively build in a logical way. Everything about it is logical. There's nothing that's voodoo or magic. It's just built on sound progression principles. So then you reach this goal at the end of the four weeks. And then you have a chance to say, do I want to continue with that? Do I want to keep refining this exercise or do I feel a different exercise will Mm -hmm. serve me? You have, you can make all these choices. So once you've done it once, now the world is open to how you want to build on what you've created in terms of your current routine. Okay. And it's your routine too. That's the beautiful part. It's not somebody else's routine that was given to you that you're recycling. It is your routine that's helping you get better at what you want to do. Right. Yeah. I did a really nerdy thing for my own and I scanned all of the exercises that I might use and I, you know, put them into my Google Drive and then I printed them out and I basically created my own method book. But there was something so satisfying about that. And it's all in one place. So I just pull out one notebook and then it's all there. So yeah, I totally agree. It's like you've created your own method book. And then another month, I'll just change it up and I'll have a new method book that is customized for me at that moment in time as I have decided that I have needed. Or maybe you want to get really good at the method book you have right now. So you say to yourself, I'm just going to do this for six months and I'm going to increase the tempos gradually, or I'm going to gradually increase the weekly repetitions, right? That's another thing you can manipulate with my method. And so you're saying, well, last month I played six weekly repetitions. Maybe I don't want to bump up the tempo, but I just want to increase the overall work to sort of demonstrate that my, my chops can handle more in a tangible way. So now I'm going to do 12 weekly repetitions. I've objectively doubled what I could do from last month. You know, like you can live with these things. You can make these choices from a place of what do I need? What do I want to do? It's actually not incredibly complicated. You just have to commit to something and then everything becomes a little bit more clear, I think. Yeah, I'm so excited to work on this with students too. I think there's just incredible potential when when you're talking about creating a customized method book for a student as well. Okay, so how do we know? how to play what tempo on what day. Like this, so there's kind of a missing piece here. Like it seems like a lot to keep track of if we don't have some help. Yeah. I love how, I love how you're trying so hard to keep me on track here. It's awesome. <laughs> um, in my, in my particular instance, I, I made a spreadsheet and it's logical and it's based on numbers. You know what I mean? So any given tempo that I'm going to play is, is in the middle of some sort of, logical progression, right? And so I don't think about it too much anymore because I trust the system. But when I was making it, one of the most difficult parts about making it was I made a routine where I started everything at half tempo and I just worked it up, you know, 5% per week, I believe it was. Uh, maybe it was 10%. I can't remember exactly, but it was eight weeks long. And that's what we would call linear progression. Exactly, for, linear progression. Going back to the... the- athletic world. Yeah. Yeah. Linear progression is you're just changing like one variable, right? Generally speaking in, in, um, working out, it's 
the weight on the bar. Um, it's the simplest and simply the most effective way of doing it until you reach a point where no longer can you progress linearly for very long. That's when you have to get into a little bit more complicated ways of progression. But for me, I liked starting at half tempo, but when I got to the end, I didn't want to have to go back to half tempo on an exercise that I had already worked up. And that was what started this four week one was then I started reading those articles about flow state. And I started asking, well, what percentages would be considered flow state? Well, let's let's talk about what flow state is. Yeah, flow state is this place where it's not too easy and it's not too hard. So you're 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 able to do it, but you have to focus essentially. Like you're able to to execute the thing you're trying to do, but you can only do it if you're very focused. And I started asking myself, and what I came up with was basically between sixty and ninety percent is flow state. Above 90%, you're, especially if you're not sure of how a particular exercise goes, uh, you're getting into more performance-related tempos and we're probably not ready. But under most exercises at 50% of some sort of tempo you'd want to go, you're not going to be engaged because it's so slow. So there is value to doing that. But especially when you're repeating it from month to right, month, yeah. you don't want to go back that far. So. Basically, most of my routine sticks between 60 and 90%. Uh, you do go above that in the very last week, but yeah, it's, it's okay. sticking between those percentages to maximize your time in flow state and maximizing your time in the space where you can actually build and, and learn. Okay. And so when you're talking about percentage of tempo, you're always talking about percentage of your goal tempo. Yeah, okay. correct. Just making sure that's clear for everybody. So if people are interested in this and what you've given us so far is not enough for them to figure out kind of how to do this for themselves. What can they do? Or is there a way that they can get help to be a little more clear on these of ideas? Of course. So recently I started doing uh, what we call discovery calls. It's the same thing. It's just like a consultation. It's a free half an hour chat. Um, if you're trying to put together a routine for yourself and you just have a few questions you want to ask about, well, what is this or what does this mean? I want to be available to to help and to try to help figure these things out. Um, I also take on clients to teach this methodology to use. Um, I've, I used to have spreadsheets, but I've essentially turned it into what amounts to an app. It's like you could have this organization on a device that's really easy to use. And so through using the exact organization I use for my practice, I can teach people the methodology and some, a lot of these concepts with that tool. And so um, that's an option. That's basically the only resource right now until mm -hmm. we're able to do more of this kind right, of thing, yeah. you know. Um, but it's something I love doing, and something that I, even if I, even if we don't work together, just being able to help people is really fun. But I do think I can help a lot of people who are struggling with just organizing and setting goals yeah. and knowing these kinds of things. I think it's something that's not. Um, it's not that it's not taught. I just think it's not. Uh, codified. It's not like the thing that we have the same way it is in the fitness industry where there's science and principles and we're building routines and people know if you want to get better in the gym, you've got to get on a routine and follow it and stick with it. So just trying to be out there and saying that we can do a similar thing in music and I've got a way to do it. And um, you know, that, that yeah. resource exists if you are looking for help. Yeah. Right. As being a person who I wouldn't say that I'm organized, but I always like wish that I was more organized. You know, I'm like that type of person. Like I love lists and I'm constantly making lists and this um, app sort of format that you've put it into is just so incredibly convenient to just 
like literally be able to pull it up on my phone and look at exactly what I have to do that day, what tempo it is, how many times. It's so convenient. And then I also love Ryan put like a done box after <laughs> each day, like a check mark. And it's so satisfying to just check the box when I've finished the routine for the day. So. Yeah, we're eliminating with this. What I liked about the way that I put it together in this particular program and the reason I tried to go down this road in the first place is because I've been on workout programs where I've told this story in various podcast episodes, so I'm not going to go through it again. You can check out, we're talking about organized practice or uh, discipline for a better future. The story is in those two episodes, I think. But essentially being on a program made it so I didn't have any questions. I knew what I was doing. I knew what exercises I was doing. You You walk into the gym, especially a commercial gym, and there are infinite amounts of things you could do. And so the first thing is like, well, what, what body part am I going to work out today? You know? And then it's like, well, what exercise should I start with? You know, there's so many questions. And so having organization takes those questions out and you're just left with doing the work and you're left with trying to maximize doing the work. And I think it just makes it more effective when you don't have to worry about what you're going to do and how many times you're going to do it. Rather you, you think to yourself, I have made this plan. I trust this plan and this plan will get me where I'm going. And if it doesn't quite get me there, I'll learn. So all I got to do is just do the work and find out what happens. It's a different mindset for sure than trying to prove to yourself that you can learn this thing. So you feel that you are like progressing and keeping up with everybody. But I I think it's, if you can, if we can calm down a little bit and just focus on doing the work day in and day out, it leads to significantly greater results because we're constantly building something rather than just trying to, you know, claw together something presentable. Right. Right. Yeah. I think you've used this analogy or this example many times before, but you know, like let's say you started working with a coach in the gym and they were, you know, taught you how to bench press or something. This is a technique of the bench press and I don't know, you do A, B, C, and D and okay, be able to lift more weight next week. And then most people would be like, uh, okay. And have no idea what, how to make that happen, what kinds of things they should do, how many times to do it. So this is a little bit like that. And just from my personal experience, especially with students, I happen to, especially with my college teaching position, I happen to get a lot of students that have never had private lessons before and their level of Exposure to good information for the instrument is varies widely. Um, so this is a real thing with them. They, you know, they've been handed this instrument, they play in band, but they really have no idea how to practice at all, at all. So these ideas of just being able to say, okay, this is where you start. This is a structure upon which we can build and which we can create variations that will work for you where you are at this point in time. But it's really helpful as a teacher to be able to show them in this clear way, the structure of which at least they, it's very understandable, right? Yeah, that's been a big goal of mine is to not just be able to do this, but to be able to explain it and to be able to present it in a way that's easily digestible. And I think that with a workout program, the way that they are, you know, there's a, there's an app out there. We've talked about this. There's an app out there. That's, it's an AI app. It's not an AI app. It's an insanely huge spreadsheet, but basically you type in, I am male. I am 230 pounds. I've been training for five years, or I consider myself to be an intermediate. And these are my goals. 
and it gives you a training program, you know? Wow. And we're left back here in like, you know, they're in like 3020, you know what I mean? Like the year 3020 with that kind of idea of we understand enough of the science that we can do that. And we as musicians, I think everything is so personal. This is the way I like to do it, or this is the way my teacher taught me to do it. So I just kept doing that. And it's like, it's interesting to me because it's not that this is a better or a, or a worse way. It's just very thought out. And I've really spent the time to think, what if we just borrowed some of these principles and the science of like doing this? And maybe hypothetically speaking, I really believe this. I haven't said this very much, but I believe that there's not as much individuality as we believe there is mm. about progression. I think the mm -hmm. way you present your music is where the individuality comes in, but I don't think it's like, I think exercises can work for everybody if we do them in a way that's going to benefit us. You know, I don't. Right. Yeah. yeah. This is making me think of two separate books. One is this idea of myelin, which is the material that wraps around your nerves and basically like secures deep learning or deep practice. And that's discussed in Daniel Coyle's The Talent Code. But also I was just thinking about, and we've talked about this before, how um, the science will follow where the money is, like the amount of advancement in the science. So because there's so much more money in the fitness industry, it actually really makes sense that they would be further along in understanding how to teach people to progress because there's just not a lot of money in teaching you know, musicians how to do it or students, music students, how to do it. And that, I think that concept I got from Tim Ferriss's, mm -hmm. um, the four hour body uh, book that he's written. Yeah. And I think something like music rightfully so can be so steeped in tradition that new ideas are hard to break or differences in the way tradition is the idea that we can, you're either going to be an orchestral player or you're going to play in a big band or you're going to teach somewhere, you know, like there aren't very many other um, options for career choices of ways you can make money and have an, a, a, a relationship with your instrument. But then there's people breaking these kinds of boundaries all the time. Right. And, and they're doing awesome things for various communities. You know, Vijay Gupta comes to mind, Jenna Van Gel, these people who are working with, you know, homeless shelters and homeless communities and prisons and stuff like that to bring music to people who don't normally have this kind of thing. Like what a wonderful thing to be able to do. And all we had to do is just break our conception of like right. what it is we're here to do and, and the things that are possible. And so one thing I love to bring it back to the programming, one thing I love is if we just feel like we have the ability to move closer to what we want, first we have to get to ask the question, what do we want? Instead of like, what has somebody told me that I can do? Or what has somebody told me that I would be good at? I get to ask the question, what do I want to do? And then you can develop a structure that you believe will get you there. So you're not reliant on other people to be less, but rather we can all be more and the whole community benefits just because we feel like we have the ability to get better and we are in control of that process. And we understand that process. Like there's so much beauty that can happen from just owning the process of getting better. Right. Yeah. And I think it'd be worth bringing up at this point because there are two phrases that you sort of stumbled upon that I think are really powerful to put out there for people. One is the phrase practice independence. Mm -hmm. And the other one is that ultimately the goal here is that this uh, routine structure would help people learn to teach themselves yeah. what they need. And, and of course, like 
nothing is going to be 100%. Like, you know, there may be times where, of course, we would benefit from from playing for somebody else or playing from a ma- for a master teacher or something like that. It's not really meant to replace that, but it's meant to sort of give you more information about not only where you are, but how far you are away from where you want to go. And then some logical steps for how you totally. can sort of uh, make that space smaller. Yeah. Less. I mean, practice independence is for sure the, um, the, the name of the game here f- for me. And the reason for that is, is I've just, I, I felt that I've had some great teachers that um, I learned a lot from, but I don't know if I ever at one point thought to myself, well, I'm going to have to do this on my own at some point. And so I succeeded under great tutelage, but when I got it on my own, uh, I don't feel like I knew what I was doing. I, I mean, I knew how to practice what I knew how to practice, but I don't think I had a system for how to necessarily to continue pushing my limits. And so that's where a lot of this came from. And and it's like, I have more independence. So of course, when I'm getting ready for something like an audition, I'm going to play for somebody else or I will certainly take your feedback or feedback of other people when I'm trying to build a certain skill that I'm unsure of. I would go to somebody I respect. Of course, we're not going to replace that. The ability to own that process for yourself means that you can absorb the thing that they're saying without being dependent on them continuing to provide you with progress. You know, yet on a previous interview, this is the third iteration of this interview. A previous interview, I asked Kathleen how she would help somebody determine what to do, like to work on a particular thing. And do you remember what your answer was? Like to say, how would you help somebody figure out like how to progress or how to move on or how to, what it was the um, variations. That's what it was. It was like, which variations should you choose? Say you've mastered your scales and you're ready to add something like slur two, tongue two, or different volumes. How would you go about recommending those uh, changes? Do you remember what your answer was? Oh, I think it went in a long sort of, (laughs) diatribe about, well, I would look at like what level the student was and think back to the exercises that, you know, I was taught at that level and I always go in a certain order and then you respond. Yeah. But basically it's, it's a very great and pedagogical answer, but in her answer, she never really answered the question of how she would help them figure it out. She would just be saying, this is what I think you should do. And that's great. But if the student or a person never has the opportunity to flex the muscle, figuring it out for themselves, then they'll stay reliant. So I'm really hoping to be able to help people develop the ability to teach themselves and maximize what they get from the practice of playing for others. Um, But yeah, practice independence, being able to do this on our own and feel empowered to reach our goals rather than this is never going to happen. I'm going to have to pay all these people. And if I can figure this out, you know, it's just... The process of empowering people is very important to me. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so what is the biggest misconception about your methodology? I don't know. I think that it can seem complicated. Mm-hmm. It can seem that it's not for everybody because, um, not that it's dogmatic, but it's you kind of have to do the program. And of course, we're able to choose exercises and choose tempos, but there is an amount of not inflexibility, but there is an amount of this is what the program is. And that's one thing you're afforded in the fitness industry that so far we're not afforded here. So in the fitness industry, if you run a program like Jim Wendler's 531 and it doesn't work for you, you can go buy one from Brian Alzer and try that. There's so many options. Right. 
But here I'm basically arguing that part of the value you get from the program is doing it the way it's laid out. And so I think a misconception is that, uh, you know, the low amount of reps do matter, you know, like sticking to what the program is and doing the tempos and the reps does matter. Yeah, I want to speak to that for a second because sometimes... I find that difficult and it, it cues me into, I don't know if this is a thing for like my personality or if many musicians could relate to this, but I find that temptation to sort of like keep going and keep pushing. And what that's led me to realize is that I think previous to this, where I, I kind of have like, I'm, I'm keeping my eye on the prize. I'm trying to, to stick to the plan, so to speak. Whereas before, maybe I'd end up spending a really long time on one of these categories so that I would have either run out of time to do one of the other ones. And essentially it would kind of leave me out of balance or I'd think, oh, I have this X thing coming up in the orchestra. So I need to be playing extra long tones because I know that's gonna make me tired and they kind of feel like long tones. So I'm gonna practice long tones for like the month leading up to that. But then maybe I'll kind of get away from it. And what this is showing me is that all of the things work together to create strength and security and balance. And that's something that I just, and I don't think I was taught that. I think we're taught that we're supposed to do these things, but maybe not, we don't really, at least for me, I didn't really understand how important it was to consistently discover all those bases. Yeah, I mean, I think to a certain extent, I think that we are expected to just figure it out. And like I did, you know, I did figure it out. But I would say that there's a lot of people out there who might not figure it out or they might not figure it out as effectively. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not a situation where people are being, you know, uh, intentionally withholding of information. I just think that's part of the journey that we are sort of um, not necessarily expected to take, but that we will take is that we'll learn what we learn in school and then we just got to go out and figure it out for ourselves. And while that's true and everybody does have to own the process, I think it's possible to help. Um, what you were talking about with feeling like, oh, I got to do more of this or this sort of an, um, basically making decisions from an emotional oh, place. Definitely. I think that's one of the values, whether you're on my programs or you're not. It's one of the values of planning long-term is that you sit down away from your instrument on a Sunday and you plan for the next month. What do I think is going to help me? What tempos do I want to go? How many times do I want to do it or whatever, you know? And then when you sit down to do the work, then you don't get to be emotional about it. You just do the work that you've already set out. So you at a separate time thought this is what's going to be good for me because we know that we're emotional beings and that we're going to have that relationship. I think it's one of the biggest values of really of planning is just being able to say, you know what, I've figured it out. I'm just going to stick to the plan. And even if the plan doesn't seem like it's working, I'm going to stick to the plan because if I get to the end, I've had so many months where week one and two were a little bit weird, but by week three and especially by week four, some of those skills started to refine themselves and now everything was okay. But I know that now because I stuck with the process. And even if it doesn't work, you can say, oh, I probably made a bad plan. I should just try a new one. You know what I mean? There's yeah. You're either going to ingrain something or you're going to learn something. Right. And that's like, that's how you make long-term progress. Yeah. And I doubt that there's anybody who hasn't made some progress. I mean, I suppose theoretically you could have made more with more knowledge, but I said that to a couple of students the other day, like 
even if this isn't perfect, like you're still going to make progress during this time. And that's exciting. Well, and there's just no such thing as I could have done more. You know, we just do what we do. We can't beat ourselves up because we weren't as efficient as we could have been. Like we can look to the past and say, I wish I could have been more efficient and learn and try to do better for the present. Right. But we can't in the present be objectively saying I could be more efficient but I'm not going to do anything. You know what I mean? Like there's just no, that's not going to happen. We are doing the work that we're doing and the work is sufficient to get us where we're going to go. And this is something you were talking about too, or maybe we were talking about at a different time, this idea that if we're doing the work to win a job or to win an audition or something like that, it's just going to be hard to have a good relationship with the work because it's either going to get you there and you're going to be happy and you're going to feel like the work was worth it or you're not going to win an audition and you're going to feel like you wasted your time. Mm. And so if we have a system in place to help us learn through every something like an audition, if we learn a little bit more about how to do it, we we either won the audition or we learned how to do it a little bit better. Yeah, so you're shifting the focus. Yeah, totally. something more positive. So organization in that way. And the more detailed, the more consistent you can be in the way you approach your your uh, organization or your programming, the more variables you understand and you can, you can change. And so if you pick specific tempos and specific repetitions, you have like such a blueprint that you can uh, adjust for the next time, as opposed to I kind of practiced these for a little bit one day and then next week I did right, it Right, with no kind of memory or knowledge of how exactly. fast you did it or... Yeah. And just to throw this out there too, I've been reading a lot about mindfulness and trying to stay in the present moment. And for me, this this helps me do this immensely, taking the anxiety or the the thought needed to think about, well, what am I going to do next? Or how fast am I going to do it? Is it going to be enough? Like all these questions that I maybe was or was not aware that I was asking as I was practicing. So once those go away... I find my mind is much more able to stay on the thing that I'm doing right now. And we, I think we can all agree that you will make more progress. You will be more efficient and effective if you are focusing on the task you are trying to do right now. Yeah, I've said many times, I believe the most difficult part about performing at a high level is the ability to focus I at totally the level agree. that you need to be able to focus to play at a high level. And so if your whole entire practice routine is built around focused practice, you're constantly ingraining it. So even if you're not great at it, there's no way you're not getting better at it. This is my justification for trying to lower the overall repetitions I do on something because you're forced to make a plan before you play. You don't get to use a bunch of repetitions to kind of see what happens. You're saying, I get three shots to make this great. And so what am I going to do on the, before you even play the first rep, you think, what am I going to do? Well, in the science of what we do know, tells us that those repetitions of maybe it not being clean or not, or being wrong or not great, like those actually work against us. So the more careful we are about the repetition that we actually make, if we're putting it into that positive category of towards the direction that we want to go, the way we want it to sound, then, then we are doing the kind of work that would fall into this category that we could loosely call deep practice, which is what we're striving for. Yeah. And a few classes I did, I gave this example. I said, if you're somebody, this is a common thing for people. If you're somebody who has to play it four or five times to feel like you're ready 
let's say you do it five. I have my phone in front of me, make sure I don't get this math wrong. Let's say you do it five times. Okay. The first time is atrocious. The second time is not great. The third time you're sort of getting a hang. The fourth time and the fifth time is not great. But now you think to yourself, I have enough information to be able to play this at a high level. And then so you do it a sixth time and that sixth time is great. And then you stop because most of us would say, I got it. This is going to be the amateurs practice until they don't get it wrong. Professionals practice until they can't get it wrong or don't get it. Can't. What is it? <laughs> amateurs practice <laughs> until they get it right. Professionals uh, practice it. until they can't, can't get, get it, it wrong. wrong. It. And so let's, that's a total of six repetitions, right? But five of those were bad which means one of those was good. And so I think if we take one divided by six, that is 17% of the work that you did ingrained what you wanted to do. Now, I read, I think it was the talent code, I believe it was the talent code was saying that we retain from time to time 50%, no more than 50% of the work that we did. And so if we say that we retained 50%, that's 8%, right? Eight and a half percent. And then let's say when we're in a performance and we're under stress that we're going to be a little bit, not worse, but we're not going to have as many of our skills as we would in the practice room, right? We can always do it a little bit better in the practice room than we can on stage. So let's knock a few percentage points off. That version, if that's all the work you did, you practice it five times and then you got it right the sixth time and then you had to do your performance, there would be a 5% chance that you would get it right. Yeah, those aren't good odds. I wouldn't want to trust in those odds. Yeah, right. And so it brings me back to the whole genesis of the methodology was really asking the question, what would it be like if you just never played something wrong? Not only in terms of your actual playing, what do you think you'd think mentally? Right. You would probably believe you could do anything because you would just think, I've, I can play anything, so why wouldn't I be able to play anything? You know, it's a really interesting thought, I think. Yeah, and I think we, especially with, the stuff is just easy to tune out on. Like I find, you know, with my scales, like I have them memorized. I can be like, my mind can be totally somewhere else. Like long tones, things that don't require like as much concentration as some, you know, really difficult passage in a symphony or a, a full scale concerto or something like that. And so we don't, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to to treat that like this matters, you know, and our focus should be on it. But I think that is also an argument for, maybe less time and in some, if you can be really careful about that time, less time might be, I don't want to say better, but it's certainly it's totally worth better. considering because we all have a maximum amount of time that we can really concentrate at a high level. And then our minds, our brains just need a break. Yeah, exactly. I think less is totally more. I think when building skills, I've, I've talked about this before, I think building, when building skills, so more times per week and less time doing it is better than trying to, play it all the time, just a few times a week. Unfortunately, the route that most people take is I'm going to play it every day for a long time. And that's just overkill. Like you don't, not only do you not need that, it's just unproductive. Um, it's another part of the methodology I feel like is to also just raise the bar of what we would consider to be successful, right? So if we take an exercise and we say, I can already play this pretty well, but I'm going to run it through this program. Mm. At the end of the program, the goal is not to be able to play it pretty well. The end of the, the goal is to be able to play it perfectly, right? Instead of like, oh, let's just like kind of do this to say we checked it off of the box. Let's say like, what can we get out of this? 
how can we maximize every ounce of this exercise? Right. And one thing I've been doing lately is to really try to stay on top of and, and keep track. We talked about this way back at the beginning of this episode, but what is the objective of this exercise? You know, and since we're talking about exercise science and exercise, this is one thing I love about Pilates. You said you do Pilates. I do. <laughs> and each exercise has an objective. There's a reason why you're doing it. And then a good instructor will also give you really good cues as to how to cue in to meet that objective. So applying those ideas to what we do as well, you know, really keeping track, what is my air supposed to be doing right now? What do I want my sound to sound like? What is What kind of um, quality of articulation am I getting? Is my intonation poor? Do I need to take out one of my extra tools like a drone or, you know, the tuner or... You know, am I with the metronome? Sometimes I'm lazy about that. Like the metronome's on and I'm like basically with it, but am I exactly with it? So I think this is what you're talking about is how can we up the level with with that extra concentration and that extra room with the slower tempos for the majority of the time that you're working on them to really, really listen and pull in all of our mental and physical facilities to give it 100% in that time. Because, and, and here, this is where I think you're, to go back to your like serving the, the the skill or the technique, that is the purpose here, right? And that is so that we can serve the music when our technique is at its tip top in its best shape. Then we can pull upon all those things and whatever musical ideas we have in our in our head and our hearts, we can, you know, we can pull those, you know, we, our technique will be there to carry out the the concept of the phrasing and the music that we want. Yeah, a great way to I totally agree with you. And a great way to demonstrate this point is I was working with a, a client and he sent me a video of him playing. And he said, I think I'm getting better at this thing, but there's like, you know, all, all of these problems and stuff like that. Right. And so not all, not only are we goal oriented, of course, people can say we're goal oriented. The thing that I think we really got to understand about being goal oriented is that's actually all that matters. And so when we have an articulation exercise and the goal is to be able to articulate cleanly with uh, follow through or with a beautiful sound, uh, that's all we matter. So if we miss some notes or if some notes aren't centered or there's some out of tuneness or maybe, you know, whatever, we play a wrong rhythm or something like that, many of us will focus in on the negative aspects. But when I listen to myself or I'm listening to my clients or whoever sends me something, I'm like trying to listen straight through all the mistakes to is that thing better than the last time I heard them? Mm -hmm. Because that's the point of why they put it in their routine. We're not going to be perfect individuals, but if we can keep, and he said this, he was just thinking, oh, some of these, some of these skills, like, you know, great airflow and like articulations, like how good can you really get at something like this? And then he, with this kind of focused practice, he was like, wow, you can actually improve if it's just at the forefront of your mind with such a there clear idea of what you're trying there to you do, go. not just what are you doing, but what's the goal? And then saying, well, that's the goal. How do we back up to already be that player? How far back do we have to go in terms of especially usually tempo, but it could be range. I'm not sure. But how far back do we have to go to be the player that plays like the one we want to be? And then how do we bridge that gap like you were saying earlier? Yeah. And I think so much of this is about patience, which I think is becoming increasingly countercultural to use a phrase I use all the time. Um, just being patient for like when that progress is going to happen for us 
And I love that statement that we often overestimate what we can do in a day. I'm like queen of this, overestimating what I can do in a day and underestimating what we can do in a year. Yeah, that's Karen Kubitas, right? (laughs) I don't think she came up with that, (laughs) but she likes that one. And yeah, like how can we just be more in that mindset? Like what, what defines success and how can we be more patient and kind to ourselves mm-hmm. in, you know, allowing that growth to happen over months instead of one day? Yeah. I, I just think it's this idea that a lot of us have given ourselves timetables of when we're going to achieve mm-hmm. a certain thing. That's is a common like if I don't achieve, like if I don't do. win a job by the time I'm 27, I'm going to quit. It's not for me. Or I have graduated and now I'm going to give myself five years to achieve this particular goal. But when you do that, what if on the 11th year that's when you were supposed to get it? Or what if right. on the eighth year you were or supposed to get it? Or one day after your 27th birthday? <laughs> right, exactly. Like what if that was the time that you were supposed to get it and you quit? And this is something. Kathleen, I talk about this all the time because she's my wife and she hears me rant all the time. But this is something I'm dealing with right now is the fulfillment of an expectation and what our what's a reasonable way to approach that. And there's just only one way to approach that, which is it can happen if you persevere. But if you don't persevere long enough for it to happen, it definitely won't happen. Mm. And so you have to ask yourself, do I really want this? If I'm already thinking about how long I'm going to give myself before I'm going to quit, is this something I really want? Because you talk to, you hear all these insanely successful people who have done crazy things. And it was this burning desire, this passion that just kept them going through all the failures that they experienced, losing, you know, their business going bankrupt or them having their patents stolen from them or, Mm -hmm. you know, being betrayed. Like there's all of these stories of people who have persevered through this particular time in their life. And then they achieve the thing that they wanted to achieve because that was the timing that was supposed to happen. And so for us to impose our own des- idea of what time frame is acceptable to prove that we are good enough, it's crazy, but I get it because I've been yeah. there, you know? Yeah. I thought to myself, how cool would it be if I was a 22-year-old principal of a major orchestra? I used to think that. Yeah. But I would have gotten fired instantaneously because I wasn't ready ready. emotionally. I wasn't Mm -hmm. ready as a player. There's just no way I was ready. Also, I wouldn't be here doing this. And so I say that to encourage people that uh, if if you're going through sort of a dark period in your practice or in your career, that this is, it's, it's kind of a necessary process, you know? I've gone through dark periods in my career. I've been very vocal and very open about that. And It's not to say, look at me, I made it through. And it's just to encourage you that the best thing we can do is take control of variables that we can control. And I am out here trying to help people understand that practice is actually one of those things. And it can be relatively simple. It's not, it takes a while to to sort of get on, to understand the whole concept, I suppose, but that's a variable we can control. Mm-hmm. And to feel like we're in control of moving forward as a player all of a sudden feels like, okay, maybe I don't have to set some sort of a time frame. Maybe I'll just reach it when I'm ready. And that's a whole right. different mind frame, I think, to be in. Yeah, and now I'm going to say something that's very cheesy, but in, in that sense, it really is about the journey. And I think mm-hmm. when we get so focused on, you know, some sort of, you know, goal we have, like getting a job or 
reaching a certain level of success as we perceive it by, like you said, a certain age or something like that. And then we get really down because we don't have that. There's some, there's some aspect of the now or the present tense that we're ignoring that we're not really seeing how much we can get out of it and seeing how much we can like live in, in the present and make the most of what we have right now and not be so focused into the future. Yeah. So I don't have this as much as a practicer because I've developed quite a bit, but to be, to be open and honest about what uh, a struggle that I'm having right now in this exact way and how, how silly it seems now that I've realized what I've realized. Uh, A big reason I started this podcast was to be somebody who could possibly inspire others to be able to spread good information, you know, to just help, you know, and people have been so awesome and kind to reach out and express support and, and gratitude for the resource being there. But part of me would see that and go, okay, that's great. And then I would turn around and say, gosh, I just can't wait until I can be inspiring. It, it wouldn't dawn on me that much of what I was desiring was already happening. And because it's, I had made up some sort of arbitrary thing that was far away that I needed. And I would, to relate that to practicing, I think many of us, Although there will be some work to do, it's not like it's just going to happen now. I bet many of us are capable of a lot more than we think we are. Yeah, I, I think that's worth and hanging, it's worth hanging ex- on to. Yeah, it's yeah. worth exploring. It's worth hanging on to. And that there are ways, I bet you, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, there are ways you could possibly positively impact somebody's life, whether you have an instrument in your hand or not. And I think, yeah, we decide that this is the only way we can serve our community is I play the trumpet. That's what I do. But it's also important to be a human being. And that's one thing to bring it all the way back to programming. It's one thing I love about this is it's efficient and it's effective and it makes it so we don't have to practice for three hours a day. So we can go be a human being. We can go read a book. We can go do something else that's going to be meaningful to our life or possibly serve in service of somebody else's life. And so we can essentially say, I can be a human being right now while also building the person that I hope to be someday. And that's empowering. I hope that's empowering. I hope that's in I hope that's inspiring, I guess. But like I just hope people realize once they realize that it's very empowering. And I realize that right now about myself, which is why we're here talking about this in the first place and not just like waiting to see what's gonna happen. It's it's here. Things are yeah, happening. And thing, yeah. I think that's a great place to wrap up. So We have some plans to possibly do a part two for this episode where we can take some more frequently asked questions and I can offer maybe some of my own personal insights into how it's helped me and how I've seen the benefits in my playing and my own progress. But if people are interested in knowing more, Ryan, where can they, how can they do that? Where can they find you? What should they do? Well, many of you know that already, but to make sure, um, that's not spit.com. That's not at that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. Ryanbeachtrumpet.com and Ryan Beach Trumpet on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, on my website, if you're interested in this discovery call idea, you heard that and you're like, that sounds like me. Um, there's just a tab called work with me and it explains everything on there. Um, yeah, I just I just want to be here to help and to talk to people. And I've had such a wonderful time meeting people who have I had no idea who have been, you know, following the Instagram stuff or following the podcast. And um, it's it's a pleasure to be able to meet people who are into the the same kind of things and want to talk about the same kind of things. So if that's you, feel free to reach out. I'd love the opportunity to meet you and talk to you. That's awesome. 
Well, it's been really fun being so much fun. guest host of That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Thank you, Ryan, for all this insight into the work you've been doing and for being willing to talk to people about their questions when they have them. I'd also like to thank Brandon Yoakum for mastering this episode, but most of all... Before she thanks you guys... <laughs> Uh, if you enjoyed this episode or if you learned something or anything like that, feel free to share it on iTunes or uh, to get, leave a rating and review on iTunes. And if you wouldn't mind sharing on social media so others can find it, that would be really awesome. I'd appreciate it. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, our listeners. And I just want to say stay strong, be kind to yourself, and never stop growing. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Yeah.